Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. We are excited that you are here with us today, uh, whether you are watching this or listening to this uh, live or on archives. We are glad that you are here. If you want to go ahead and turn to where we will be today, turn to the Revelation. Today we will get through all of chapter 12, chapter 12 of the Revelation. This uh, Bible study is here every week. Uh, it's rare uh, that we are not here, uh, live from the Rick and Bubba studios. I'm Rick Burgess, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show and director of themanchurch.com. You, themanchurch.com is a men's discipleship strategy. Uh, it is a hub for resources for men's ministry, uh, not only challenging men but equipping them with a 40-week curriculum. We have four uh, different curricula that you can choose from right now, and we'll continue to grow that year by year. We have individual resources for individual men to to grow spiritually or for you to uh, to have for yourself or maybe take your son through or disciple another man. A brand new one uh, is called Transformed. Uh, this is an individual resource, a 31-day devotional. Uh, it, uh, the subtitle is Embracing the Death of Self uh, and the Power of God. Uh, we're getting great feedback on this new resource. We do have a Father's Day promotion going with this. If you'd like to get a signed copy uh, from me to the dads on your list or for yourself, uh, just go right now to themanchurch.com. You'll click on the store. Uh, it'll ask, are, are you a, a ministry leader? Are you a small group leader or an individual? You'll click individual. As you get into the store, you look at the very top of, of the page there, and you click there to get a signed copy. The last day you can get a signed copy is June the 7th. So seven days, if you're watching this on the day that it was done, which is the 31st of May, uh, you have to June 7th to get that done. So make a move on that. Also, we send men out to speak to events uh, and to man churches, which are our services, all over the country, June the 11th. Webster, Florida. They're doing our men's discipleship strategy. Brian Gunn from our team will be speaking there at First Baptist Church in Webster, Florida. So if you're down around Tampa in that area, go to Webster, Florida and, and see Brian Gunn on June the 11th at uh, First Baptist Church. June the 18th, that is Father's Day, Brian Gunn will also uh, be at my home church in Birmingham, Valleydale. Uh, at Valleydale Church, he'll speak to our men's breakfast that morning prior to uh, to worship. So if you want to join us for that, just click on the link that's available to you at themanchurch.com and just register your name. That's free, but we'd love to have you with us. Some other things coming up. I'll be at the Gridiron Men's Conference in Huntsville, Alabama on June 17th, I mean 16th and 17th. Uh, I'll be there speaking with Mike Pence, David Jeremiah, Robert Jeffress, uh, also Charles Billingsley doing worship. Phil Waldrop will be speaking, and I will be speaking as well. If you want to join us for that, just go to gridironmen.com. Uh, and then you can look at other opportunities in the month of June. Uh, I'll be at a man church uh, in Prattville, Alabama at Spirit Walk Ministries. Uh, they're kicking off. They just started one of our curriculum, and I'll be there for their first man church there. Uh, also in Lake Mississippi, at First Baptist Church, I'll be there to kick off the men's discipleship strategy there coming up on June the 25th. All of that can be found at themanchurch.com. If we can help you in any way implement the strategy at your church, uh, we're standing by and ready to help. Let's open up in a word of prayer, and then let's jump into our walk through the Revelation chapter 12. Uh, thank you, Lord, for today. I pray, Lord, uh, that you will help us to discern and, and to, to glean everything that you intend uh, as we look at these future events uh, that uh, ultimately will lead to what we are all straining for, and that is uh, that day when you make everything right. Uh, and, Lord, we are just so thankful that you've already 
offered redemption to all of us who will repent of our sins and leave our own authority and confess you as the Lord of our life. Uh, as we were just talking prior to this, you, Lord, produce the fruit. We simply bear it, proving that we are your disciples for those of us who belong to you. Uh, help us today with the discernment of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's take a look at Revelation chapter 12. Now, I told you, and I prepped you last week to be prepared that our timeline is going to shift. We're not going to be chronological anymore. Uh, we're rolling chronological through 11. Now, 12, and, and today most uh, scholars and theologians believe that a lot of the things that we're seeing uh, in 12 go back to trumpet number three uh, when this took place, and we've already studied that. We're now going to see it from the, the point of view of Satan himself. Uh, it's, it's, it's a different view. Again, we're not chronological now. We're going back from a, from a different view of something that we've already studied to tell us a little more about it. Uh, so what's, what's taking place here uh, in chapter 12 is God's glorious plan is revealed. Satan's schemes are now being unmasked. We're going to see exactly what Satan is going. He's been to, trying to do this since the downfall of mankind, uh, and he is trying uh, his last-ditch effort uh, of destruction uh, since the dawn of time, Satan's plan for this planet. You know, I, I hear people talking about all the time, what do you think about you know UFOs and extraterrestrials and other planets? And I go, yeah. All I can tell you is that the holy word of God is about Earth. That's all I can tell you. Uh, and what's going on with us and God, anything else he, he, he has done, he hasn't let me know about it, and uh, it's, it's not really my concern because I'm really more concerned about what's going to happen to the planet that I'm on, and that's what the Bible's all about. So since the dawn of time, Satan's plan for this planet uh, has uh, included uh, you know, a couple of things. Uh, number one, the eradication of all who in any way remind him that God has a purpose on this earth. Number two, the unification of the world under a single head, and those birth pains are out there right now. Uh, number three, the adoration of the entire human race. Uh, this is what he's always desired. Uh, he's a usurper. He, he, he's, he wanted to eradicate anybody that stands with God, whether that be supernatural uh, or, or, or human. He wants the world to be under one government that will all be focused on adoring and worshiping him. That's what he's always wanted. Uh, and he is still continuing to try to work that out. Now, the next two chapters, 12 and 13, uh, we're, we're going to be looking. The first one will be today. Um, these next two chapters of the apocalypse, they're going to review much that has been left unsaid in some of the previous descriptions of the trumpet era. And we think what we got today mainly is thr trumpet three. Just And we're going to see some things, some more details we didn't get the first time through from a different point of view. Satan's ruling passion is going to be the theme of chapter 12. And what, what passion will it be focused on specifically? And that passion, and he has been trying to accomplish it uh, throughout world history in various ways, which we're aware of a lot of these ways. We're, we're, very, we're aware of a lot of them, and that is to completely exterminate the Hebrews. He hates all of the redeemed. He really hates the Hebrews because they're God's chosen people. And he has tried, as you know, in world history, and is continuing to try to exterminate them, 
to remove them from the planet. Uh, and so you, that's going to be a lot of what we see here. So in verses 1 through 6, let's, let's read those first. And, and let's, this is what John saw, and he's making sure that we now see. A great sign, I would underline that, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign, underline sign, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one is one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. I can remember uh, a a lot of my life kind of skimming through the revelation and going, what in the world is going on here? Uh, So, so we will, we will talk about that. The don't, the reason why I had you underline sign is remember most of the, most of the time, the correct way to study the Word of God is by paying attention to what it actually says. Okay, there are things that are mysteries. I'm not. I'm not walking around that. But there are things that the Bible just says. So, is this a literal woman and is this a literal dragon? Well, no, because we know it's symbolic. Because it says these were signs. He saw signs, which means these are symbolic. What are they symbolic of? Well, that that's. Believe it or not, a little more straightforward than than maybe you may have thought. Sometimes we overthink some of this, and sometimes we underthink. Okay, but but we want to hit the the proper balance. A great sign that means the Holy Spirit is telling us, and t- through John, this is symbolic. It's a sign, or it's something else. Uh, now there have been people that say, "Well, here's what I think it's a sign of," and and you'll see as we get through it. One of them. You would think, well, now this one I think may have merit, but you'll see as we work through 12, it kind of loses its merit, and that is that this represents the Virgin Mary. Um, you'll see that kind of come apart. It, it doesn't really um, it doesn't really hold up, uh, and so so we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, and, and then um, one of the other things you hear is that it is the church. Well, that doesn't really hold up either because the church did not bring a son into the world. So that that one doesn't even get off the launching pad. Okay, so it's not the church. So so when we we look at what it is, there's three things about the the woman that we have to look at that kind of tells us what she is symbolic of. Everybody with me? Everybody still with me? So most of the things about the woman point that she represents the nation of Israel. That that's most likely what she represents, and it has the most merit. Uh, and this will become increasingly clear. Uh, as as we move forward. So in verse 1, and, and there appeared a great sign in heaven. Um, now, if, if you want to take a, a, a minute, 
um, and, and think about some of the things that we've heard about the things that, that we see about her. We, we see that she is clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of how many stars? Twelve. Twelve tribes of Israel. Okay? So if you also have your Bible, remember that thankfully this time I was wise and I listened to the counsel of my godly wife who was given to me to be the ultimate helper and what did she tell me? You got to teach everybody the Genesis before you teach them the Revelation. And uh, we did that. And if you missed that study, those archives are available at themanchurch.com. Click on the media button and either watch them or listen to them. So let's go back to Genesis 37. Genesis 37, verse 9, the dream that Joseph had. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars here were bowing down to me. 11, because one of the 12 actually represents Joseph once we go forward, but at this time when Joseph is dreaming, he sees 11. So this is Joseph looking and dreaming that the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to him and what, what, what do we know happened with Joseph? God used Joseph to do what? To preserve Israel through him. So God is using these signs again, uh, this, this, the, the glorious dignity of Israel in God's eyes. Through, uh, though this nation has failed him throughout the ages, just like we do, Israel belongs to God. Therefore, its glory is the glory of the heavens. Abraham's seed was likened to what? In Genesis 15, 5, the stars. So you see that this has always represented God's people. And so it's no wonder that Satan hates Israel because she reminds him of all that was once his. And it also reminds him because of his attempt to be a usurper, and we're going to get to him being thrown out of heaven, what he once had access to, it also reminds him of how far he has fallen, and he hates them for it. He hates that they've been offered redemption, and he hasn't. Okay? So verse 2. When we look at verse 2, we see she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. So go back again to Genesis, and we're going to go back to Genesis this time, chapter 3. Am I glad we studied Genesis? Genesis chapter 3, verses 15. This is after we uh, human beings decided that God could not be trusted to decide what was right and wrong, and Satan, as a serpent, uh, deceived uh, Adam, Adam and Eve that God was withholding something from them, uh, and now sin has entered the garden, and God is handing out punishment to the serpent for being used to deceive the people. And in 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he, Jesus, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So once again, we see that this is all the way back to Genesis 3.15. Here is the woman and she is giving birth to the seed 
that will crush the head of the serpent. The seed um, is going to come through Israel because of all the things that people say about our Lord Jesus, when God took on human form, let me put all this to rest about his ethnicity, he was a Hebrew man. Okay? However you want to see that, those are the facts. When God decided to come to earth as a human, he came as a Hebrew. Okay? Through Israel. And his mama, uh, earthly mama, had all she needed to have on her uh, uh, ancestry, which we'll talk about. The seed is through Israel. Uh, and, of course, you'll see this. The later sh- scriptures clearly explain this. Turn with me to the book of Romans, okay? Let's go to the book of Romans. What some people believe, the mightiest book of the New Testament, that's certainly up for debate, but many believe that. We also have a study of, of Romans you can find in our archives. We, we got all kinds of stuff for you out there. We have been on quite the journey. Uh, so if, if you look at Romans 9 and, and you look at the things that, that he has said, look at verses 4 and verses 5. Romans chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promise. Verse 5, to them, the Israelites, belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So Paul has made this clear. And if you want to know why they are hated by Satan, that's everything that you need to know. Because they, the seed that he was trying to stop from came through Israel to crush his head. Okay? And you'll see the, the images of him waiting to devour, but that didn't take place. But let's move on. So uh, verses 3 and 4. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore the, her child, he might devour it. The prolonged sufferings of the woman, Israel, no nation has suffered so severely and for so long as a nation compared to Israel. No one. People have had suffering, but no one as long and as severe as Israel. We are left with no doubt who is at the heart of this torment, and it is the red dragon, which is Lucifer, Satan, the devil. Thirteen times in the Revelation, 11 of them in this chapter, uh, you see him referred to as the dragon. Uh, I do also think, unfortunately, you hear people talking about it all the time, you know, throughout human history, there's always these appearances of people worshiping dragons and dragging this and dragging that. And in their minds, they say, dragons like this must have really existed. No, it's probably likely, likely people have been worshiping Satan for a long time. It, that's more likely uh, that uh, that he has been worshipped by many a pagan nation for a really long time uh, because this is a symbol of the devil. Um, and then there'll be a couple more uh, references of Satan as a dragon when we get to Revelation 16 and also in Revelation 20. This has always been a biblical symbol of Satan. Now, the, the, the heads and the horns and the crowns 
They're all symbols of earthly power, Satan has claimed. Uh, remember this in Ephesians 2.2. It refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. Uh, then John 12.31, you're going to see all this come together. John 12.31 um, calls him the prince of this world. Um, and why why is he called a red dragon? Why, why is that the sign? Why is he being used that? This represents cruelty. This represents a bloodthirst. This represents a thirst for power, meaning he is at the root of all of the woman's sufferings, which is Israel. He's at the root of it. He uses different, different instruments, but he's at the root of it. Uh, and we see this, uh, and you're going to see this about he was once the prince of the air, and you're going to see as we get to 12, that, that ability to be the prince of the air is actually going to be removed, and he's going to be thrown down onto earth. In verse 4, his tail swept down a third of the stars in heaven and cast them on the earth. Now, if you, if you look at this, and we're going to get there, this likely is a sign of the rebellion in heaven. I'm, we're going to learn something about heaven today that I did not know, and it blew my mind as I was studying this. But anyway, it says a third, and a third of the angels went with Satan in his rebellion to usurp God as the one and only living God and the one and only authority and tried to take God's throne. Um, the stars um, were cast out of heaven, and then they were cast onto earth, uh, and we think this is part of the original rebellion in heaven when a third of the angels followed him in his great rebellion. They're now marshaled by him against Israel. Now, they, they've been active before, uh, and Daniel makes this very clear. He tells us all about this, and they will be active again. There'll be many attempts, and there have been many attempts throughout history to exterminate the Jews, uh, and, and we've seen this. I mean, I know the one everybody's thinking about is Hitler. That's the one that jump, jumps out at you, but I got news for you. Hitler was, was the most successful, but there have been nation after nation and tyrant after tyrant. Um, even at one point, even England was saying they were going to remove them uh, from Great Britain. So this attempt uh, by Satan to get rid of the Hebrews, it is has been going and is ongoing, and he'll continue to try it all the way to the end. Okay, So when you look at the second part, the promised seed of the woman, now this looks pretty pretty clear that the dragon is ready to devour the promised seed. So remember this, the promised seed. Well, that's got to be Jesus. Because when you, when you look at the promised seed, the seed had to meet some requirements which this seed met. Born of a virgin. The virgin had to be a woman of the royal house of David. Check, check. Had to be of the tribe of Judah. Check. Okay. Satan may want to harm the child, but he can't. Think about it. Think about biblical history. He, he tried to get this child win through Herod. You know, Herod said, go kill every baby boy from this age back. And, of course, Gabriel comes in, tells Joseph, you got to take her, you got to take the baby, you got to go, and they go into Egypt safely. God's protected the seed, but the thing I want you to get is you know that, that, that Satan has tried to destroy him. We know that. 
and and so that, uh, but to no avail. Uh, and 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 look at verse five. Now, in verse five, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and we know that's Jesus. But her child was called up to God and to His throne. Satan could not stop him. Okay, he 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 was he was conquered. So he was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil, demons, disease, uh, deaths, disaster. They all fled before him. Uh, he uh, invaded death at Calvary, tore away its bars, rose in victory, spoiled the plans of the principalities and the powers, triumphing over them openly on the cross. He is now seated at God's right hand in glory, and Satan could not halt what Jesus came to do. He couldn't even stop it for a moment. And I hope you find peace in that. Now, if you don't belong to Jesus, you got problems. Satan's already, and his demons are already devouring you, or they will. You have no chance against him. You can't. You and I can't defeat him. He was, he was, he was the, the highest-ranking angel. He's not a homecoming game for us, but he is for Jesus. There's a giant chasm of power between Jesus and Satan. It's not even close. So this thing, Satan says, I'm going to stop all this, and God said, no, you're not. And, 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 and he didn't. Praise God. Verse 6, she gave birth to a male child. I'm sorry. Uh, verse 6, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days, three and a half years during the Great Tribulation. So Satan will still try to hinder Jesus, but to no avail. During the Great Tribulation, Satan will do his worst, but again, to no avail. God has prepared a place for the fleeing Hebrews to find safety, some think it's Petra, because if, if you know Petra, you know this is where Jacob, you know, um, wrestled with 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 Jesus and and with God, and Petra, the where it's located, it's set up as a perfect place with the natural walls that protect you. If you can get down in there uh, with with your supplies, it'll be very difficult for anyone to eradicate you from there. So some think that's the perfect place of protection, but the bottom line is it will it will look really, really bad, but God will not allow Satan to succeed. All will proceed on God's schedule. These exact numbers of days have been written in the Word of God for centuries. And where did we find Jesus talking about people and being protected and fleeing to protection of the great tribulation. We find him talking about that where? Matthew 24. And uh, and hopefully all of you have read that and studied it. Which one of you was it that spent all the time studying Matthew 22 and you had it wrong? That would be great. That's all right. But, you know, you need to read Matthew 22. I'm sure there was something in there for you. Yeah, it didn't have anything to do with this, though. Uh, but anyway, so, so then next we get down to this thing about heaven that I, I honestly didn't I mean I, I knew it that, that that what happened I just didn't know how much how, how the details of this 
So we get down to this war that's going to be talked about next. And guess where this war takes place? In heaven. So, yeah, I saw your faces. I had the same face. The, the place is heaven. So uh, this is verses 7 through 12. Now war arose. What does it say? In heaven. Okay, so I'm not speculating. The Holy Spirit told John, tell him about the war that's going to be in heaven. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, Satan, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, this is beautiful coming up, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Now here's what blew me away. When I first looked at this, I said, oh, well, this is just... This happened in the past. This is, uh, this is the, the rebellion uh, in heaven of Satan and his demons. That's not what it is. Because we know from Job and we know from Scripture that even after the fall, even after the rebellion, because remember, when, when Adam and Eve show up, the devil's already, the devil is able to come into earth and he's out there deceiving. He's, he's become the devil now. He, he's not still Lucifer. He's still not in the right standing with God. That's already happened before we ever got here. What this is talking about is right now, Satan apparently can go into heaven and accuse us. He can go into heaven and talk about Job and stand before God and give an account for what he's doing. And what this is, is God says, we ain't doing that anymore. You're, there's no more access to heaven for you. So this is a different battle. This is a different war. And, and so the place is heaven which is no wonder that God says, and we'll get to this at the end of the Revelation, what? He says he's going to make a new earth, but he also says he's going to make what? A new heaven. So it's, it's, it's been corrupted to some degree as well because of all this that went on in heaven between Lucifer, his demons, the angels, and God. Now, God wins, but there was, there was a war there. So there'll be a new heaven, and there'll be a new earth. And has this hit you yet? Are y'all ready for this statement? This will be the one after we're done today. Wherever you're going from here, this will ride with you. Sin did not originate on earth. It originated in heaven. Mm -hmm. I see some people biting their fingers. Say, y'all pondering that, aren't you? I, I did too, but it did. Because who? what was the original sin? Lucifer. We're not even here yet. He attempts to usurp God in heaven and commit sin against God. So sin is actually older than mankind. 
Satan had defiled both realms, not 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 in humans, but also in the very soul of Lucifer himself. This war is fought in heaven. So Lucifer had already defiled heaven, and then he came to defile earth. So he 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 he's why was the war fought? Well, there's two reasons to cast Satan down from heaven. Um Daniel 10 talks about this. Behind the kingdoms of the earth is a satanic empire in the spirit world divided into kingdoms that are synonymous with the nations of the world. That's why you hear him referred to as the prince of Persia, the prince of Tyre. These were evil earthly kingdoms, but guess what was behind them in the spiritual realm? Satan's kingdom. He was actually the prince of these places. And we do know that with the four demons that that when we get back to the chronological Four of them have been assigned to different kingdoms to be over them as his representation there. So Michael, on the other hand, Michael, on the other hand, in the spiritual realm, was assigned to Israel. Satan can't have it. Now, I'm going to go back and forth with them, and they're going to sin against me, and I'm going to keep refining them. But in the spiritual realm, Michael, you oversee that. So that, that's why the, the, this Israel versus Satan thing, the Bible calls Michael Israel's prince, which stands for your people. You find that in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, if you want to write that down. Also in chapter 10 of Daniel, you'll find that in verse 21. And then you also find uh, in chapter 12 of Daniel, Michael called this in verse 1. Now Jude, in the New Testament, calls Michael the archangel and defender of Israel and God's interest in this nation against the ceaseless attacks from Satan's representatives. His mercenaries are going out, and Jude says Michael's the archangel who stands and fights for Israel but also stands and fights for all of us that have been redeemed, even the wild branch grafted in. The second reason for the war is to cast Satan down to the earth. So he was cast out of heaven into the air, which is where Ephesians, the prince of the air, that's where that comes from. He was cast out of heaven, now, and now he's in the air because, you know, we're not talking about the third heaven. He's been cast out of the third heaven, but the heavens, you know, which is what we can see, um, he, he, he's been the prince of that. But also now down to the earth where he be, will be confi- confined to the earth only after this happens. Now, in verse 8b, it tells us that Satan's rebellion in heaven did not last very long. He was flung from heaven in a clean sweep. So when, 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 you, when you want to really see the difference, this is a good way for you to remember it. Okay, write this down. Satan is mighty, but he's not almighty. God is almighty. Satan's just mighty. Now, remember, you and I aren't mighty, so we, don't, we need the almighty to fight for us against the mighty, because we're not mighty, but uh, but but it, it, God is almighty, uh, and also remember this: what we're talking about right now, just so you can kind of, if you want to say, all right, I want to go back and see when this happened chronologically. We're getting a view at things we didn't get from the revelation, but if you want to go back and look, most likely what we're seeing now from Satan's vantage, we saw, we sent we saw it before from Christ, his point of view. Probably chapter 8 of the Revelation, right around verses 10 and 11, the third trumpet. That's likely where we are, if you want to think of it chronologically. 
If you don't care about that, that's fine. But likely the third trumpet, okay? Um, verses 10 and 11, I love this. It's a proclamation. L- look, look at this at 10 and 11, after, after he's, uh, Satan and his demons have been cast out of heaven. I, I love this in 10 and 11. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, this is a proclamation, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our God, and they have, they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even until death. What a proclamation. For the Savior against Satan, and for the saints. I want you to think about this, okay? And this, this, this is a beautiful thing, and this really, really moved me in the Spirit because I know that I'm a sinner. I, I, know, I know I'm being sanctified, and I'm thankful because of abiding in Christ, the fruit that he's producing uh, that I simply bear is a radically changed man. But I know it, and it happens. I know that then I know before I came in here today to teach you the Word of God that that wicked serpent stood before God and told him everything I'd ever done. You gonna let him teach the Bible? He did this, and he did that, and he did that, and he did that. And you know, and he still has a problem with this, and he accuses, and he accuses, and he accuses, and he accuses. The celebration that's happening right now, accusations from Satan are over. He does not have access to God anymore. There's no more of this going and coming. You're out because we're about, I'm about to destroy you forever. To the earth, that's the only place you can be now. You cannot come into heaven before me. So there is a day coming, brother and sister, who may be watching and listening to this. For those of you and me that are redeemed, where the ability for Satan to accuse you will be over. Amen? And that causes for much celebration. The accusing of the saints, over. This walking in front of him and talking about Job, over. He loves to give his list, but our advocate Jesus has put an end to this ritual. Praise his holy name. Now instead of hearing, now listen, I want you to listen to this. Now instead of God hearing about the vices and the sins of the saints, he will now only hear of the victories on earth and our cleansing by the blood of the Lamb. And he'll hear how the saints overcame Satan's attempts by using the word of God and the word of their testimony and they listen to what Jesus said when he said, anyone who tries to save his life will lose it. Anyone who loses his life for me will save it. And they realize, and all he'll hear is how his followers have become so resolved that even when Satan and all of his representatives say, we'll kill you if you do not renounce Jesus, they say, just kill me. I'm listening to my teacher. He says if all I care about is my life, if I'm willing to compromise him just to save my earthly life, ultimately I'll lose it. And I'm resolved that if I take my earthly life to live as Christ, to die as gain. I will not reject him. And that's all God hears now. 
they're overcoming. They're, they're, by the blood of Jesus, they've been cleansed. All these vices, all these sins, uh, you, the, the Lamb is presenting them to you, Father, as blameless, and they're willing to die other than renouncing you. That's what he hears now. Amen. Amen. So verse 12, what does that what does that bring? What does 12 bring? Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. So first of all, there's rejoicing in heaven over this being over. He can't access this anymore. But then there's the second part, which is not so much fun. But woe to those that are still on the earth. Because guess where we just sent them? Oh, and when they get sent to earth, you don't want to be there. Because they are a raging lion, tiger, beast. They're madder now than they've ever been. Woe is the proclamation concerning the earth. The woe trumpets begin. And Satan, now like a caged, enraged beast, is enraged beyond words. I want you to picture this because I don't want us to be like him. And I fear that I know I look at times in my life when I was more like him than I was Jesus. Because let me tell you what he does, what, what the usurper and, and, the, and, and, and this rebellion is all about. And we got people living among us right now that see him as the original rebel and they see him as something to be desired. They love that he rebels against the power of God because they buy into They like that message more than being redeemed by God. They don't like that God says repent. They don't like that God says the way they want to live is wrong. They don't like God's de- demand for holiness, and they are going to act just like Satan does. He's been thrown down to earth. I want you to picture this in your mind. He stands himself up in that dust. He finally gets back up on his feet after this defeat. And when he stands up, he shakes his fist at the sky. And he looks around and says, I will now take out my vengeance on all mankind. He's furious. Are you more like Jesus or more like him? Where you just look at God and you can't believe that God has not allowed you to live a life of no pain, no suffering, no difficulty. How dare you do this to me? How dare you let that happen? How dare you demand that of me? Do you not see all the things that I do and you're telling me that my life isn't? How come I can't build heaven on earth? Why can't everything go the way I want it to go? See, now we're starting to sound a little more like Satan than you thought you were. You thought I was going to say it just means that you won't repent of your sin. No, what Satan is basically saying is, I can't believe you didn't let me have what I wanted. I wanted wanted you to worship me. I don't want to worship you. And you demanded that I worship you, and you wouldn't worship me. Let me just tell you, as Job had to learn, I'd withhold my questioning of the Almighty. Because you and I have no standing to do that. 
Do you remember when he finally said to Job, stand up and show yourself a man who questions me? Because Job did finally get to the point he's like, you know, I don't know, I don't really like that you're not, you're letting this go on. But he was letting it go on so Job could see God in a way he couldn't see him any other way. So he would repent of how sinful he still was. I despise myself. But that's what Satan's going to do. And look at verses 13 through 17. He's going to direct his rage at the people he has hated who produced the seed of redemption. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman, Israel, who had given birth to the male child, Jesus. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time, three and a half years. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to help, to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman, Israel, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. He's going to focus his rage on Israel and the church, the saints of God, anybody who has repented during the tribulation. He can't touch the child because God has protected him. So he goes after the woman, Israel. The Bible begins with the woman, the serpent, and the seed. Remember back to our study of Genesis? How did it start? A woman a serpent, and a seed. Do you see how all this is coming back around? You see we're returning to the garden is what we're doing. That's how all this ends. It goes back to what he originally intended. So we see time beginning with, with humans, with a woman, a serpent, and the seed, and now it comes full circle and traces the struggle from Eden to its final end. Three factors. Time. He's running out of time, and he knows it. He will go after Israel and the saints with a fervor. And you know what? Have you noticed one thing you missed? He's been assigning these things out to his mercenaries. He gets down to the end of all this, and he says, I'll take this one myself. I'll take this myself. I will see this over this bloodbath. The second part is the tribulation. Israel will be hated, hunted, and hidden. They will flee to the wilderness. Does this sound familiar? What, where did God send his people when they were rebellious in Exodus 15, 5? To the wilderness. Guess where they're going back to? The wilderness. It's almost like the whole Bible is written by God and has a theme to it. Now they flee to the wilderness again. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 24, 20. Their plot will be desperate. God will even raise up Gentiles to help them, to shield them and shelter them at great personal risk. 
God will also perform miracles, as you see about the flood goes after them, the earth opens up and takes the flood away. I mean, trying to defeat God, how futile that is. Satan's attempts to wipe them from the earth will not work. All the things you've seen throughout history of Satan trying to remove the Hebrews from the earth, it's rehearsal. How did did some people survive the Holocaust? Gentiles protected them at great personal risk. And that all is going to happen again. This will be the ultimate attempt to remove them completely from the earth. And just like throughout history, a remnant will be protected again. Triumph. Satan cannot defeat them. This tribulation, listen, just like I said about Job, and some of us need to understand this in our personal life. I've been there. Discipline and refinement is not enjoyable. As my wife has said through the many things we've been through, some of them you know, some of them you don't, difficulty. And my wife said wonderfully, and that's what we're seeing at the end of chapter 12, I do not always like the way God does things, but I cannot argue with his results. I I wish I didn't need this, but apparently I do. Satan cannot defeat them. Now listen to this. He thinks, you know, have you ever watched a team? I remember it used to frustrate me so much because my dad, uh, who I get a chance to go and represent him again tonight at another Hall of Fame, my dad loved the triple option in offense. He loved it. And, and I remember when people didn't understand how it worked. And you would hear goofy people in the stands when the fullback would go into the line and be stopped for about a half a yard gain or no gain. Why don't we keep running that stupid play? And what they didn't know is the read was wrong. If the quarterback had read it correctly, it would have been successful. It was a mistake on the execution of the play. The play itself was fine. Why do we keep running that same old play? We just keep running it up in the middle. Let me tell you something. Satan didn't learn any lessons, I'll tell you this, because he keeps trying this same play, and it never works. It never works. He thinks if he turns up the heat on human beings, they'll turn against God. And so many times he only turns us to God. And it's going to happen again. He's going to turn it up on the Hebrews so much that he will run many of them who rejected Jesus as Messiah right into the arms of Jesus. They'll finally repent and say, hey, I've seen all I need to see. And if you know what, Satan, If and I said this when, when, when my youngest son died because of the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know. He didn't come any other way because I couldn't say it. I said to this evil adversary or whoever represented him that was attacking our family, I said, you have grossly miscalculated this. All you have done is made us more committed to Jesus than ever before. You would have been better off if you'd been smart enough to leave us alone, and we likely would have fallen into apathy because we were making more money we ever made in our lives, got to go on more trips we ever gone in our lives. Everything, it, hey, we, not, nothing was perfect because it never is here, but it was pretty close. We were living a way we had never been able to live before. You know, the health, wealth, and prosperity people said, I bet y'all going to come to our church. 
Look what your face doing for you. And then God said, how about your baby dying? And you know what that did? That made us focus more on Christ. When we found out that all we had in the moment was God, he was all we really needed. He would have been better off to have left us alone. He grossly miscalculated. And he makes this mistake over and over and over. Just like the church. You know when the church flourishes? Persecution. Do you realize the church has never failed in persecution? You know when the church fails? When it's not being persecuted. Let me tell you something. The United States of America, these churches in the country in which we live, we have the most difficult job of any other teachers, any other evangelist, any other shepherds in the world. The persecuted church, they do not have the problems we have. They're solid. But the most difficult thing is for you to tell somebody who is headed to their lake house because they didn't want to go to the beach house this weekend that they should have been in church Sunday. Why? What do I need? I can worship Jesus anywhere I want to, anytime. And you think, man, that's awesome. And it is. I, I, I'm glad we can. But it makes things difficult. It's hard to stay focused. Because it's so easy. You know, we're going to kill you today if you don't renounce Jesus. It's a little bit different than some of my neighbors don't. They hide their alcohol when I come over. Ooh, what a martyr. <laughs> I didn't get invited to that party because nobody knew I wouldn't like it the way that it was going. Whew. Well, aren't you? Let's get you a crown that you can lay at the foot of Jesus. So, so do, you, do you understand? It doesn't work again. He goes after them and just drives them right into the arms of Jesus. They will not recant. And when he tries to get them to recant, you remember back when when Jesus loved the church enough to let them be persecuted? You remember, he, told, he clearly told the disciples, don't stay here. I want you to go out, and I want you to tell the world. And they didn't. They stayed. So what, what did he use to scatter them? Paul. The persecution of Paul. It says that his persecution of the church scattered the church into all these places where the church wasn't. Okay, and then he goes and gets the guy who scatters the church and says, now I'm going to redeem you and you're going to advance the church. Well, he's going to do this again. They're going to be attacked by Satan. They're going to, give, they're going to acknowledge Jesus is Christ. They're going to repent. They will not recant because now they've seen that this is Messiah. And when he persecutes them and keeps pushing them, he's just going to scatter them. And as he scatters them, guess what they're going to do? Evangelize more people. With time running out on the clock. What can Satan do? Listen to this straight out of Scripture. And I hope this is where we are, men and women who are watching or listening. I hope we become like those that are our ancestors when our time comes. 
lock us up, we'll convert jailers. Torture us, we become partakers of Christ's suffering and heirs for our great reward. Kill us, we go straight to Jesus. Turn us loose, then we'll just evangelize the world. What are you going to do with us? How in the world can he compete with that? There's nothing he can do to us that won't simply work out for the redeemed. Lock us up, we convert the jailers. Torture us, we're partakers in Christ's suffering, and people can see Christ in the way we handle the suffering, and we're earning crowns in heaven that we'll just lay at his feet. Kill us, we go straight to be with him. Don't do anything to us, we evangelize the world. And I think it's that latter one that we're failing on. I do think, I do think everybody in this room, I really do, I think that you would try to convert a jailer. I think that you would probably not recount Christ if they were torturing you. I think that, that, that I do know that if you died, you would go into the arms of Christ if you were redeemed. But what I think we all are not doing so well is taking the freedom that we have to evangelize the world. Now that we're not doing. And time's running out. Time's running out. Time's running out. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this incredible message. Thank you for us seeing this through the eyes of the adversary. Thank you, John. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You know, Because when we see it through his eyes, it just gives us a different perspective. His plan, it's, it's kind of tired and it's, and it's not new. But thank you for reminding us of what he's doing and why it fails. When honestly, those of us that have been redeemed, probably the most difficult trial that we face is apathy. That we're allowed to kind of live our lives with no opposition. And we know that's changing, Lord. And we certainly don't go out looking for trouble. But we can see that even for those of us in the West, that trouble is coming. May we not embarrass you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.